Eric Newcomer. Uh, this is Dead Cat. Uh, we have Katie here, Tom's here, and we have our friend Deepa, who you've heard before. We're going to talk about uh, Cheryl Sandberg's uh, departure. Uh, Surprise, not surprising departure. It's like the obit that everybody <laughs> had written expected for, for many years. Several years, yeah. but the date of running it was always a little unclear. I, I am recording from... Uh, the New York Times uh, DC Bureau. I don't know if Katie is going to let me say that on the episode or not. She's uh, at, you know, a desk away, uh, stealthily taking a source call at the moment. Good for her. I was at a wedding headed to San Francisco tomorrow and was at my Harvard reunion yesterday. So I've been oh my God. all over. A lot of Real lot power of player over this here. This is the best, <laughs> braggiest. Uh, anyway. You're heading off to San Francisco too, so it really fell off immediately <laughs> after that. But Yeah. Anyway, uh, Deepa, I mean, you've been covering Facebook for so long. It, and to Tom's point, there has been this sense that, you know, just like a recession, there have been, yeah. you know, it's easy to predict her departure if you predict it wrong a billion times. I don't, the media is... As a as a general mass, has certainly thought she was about to leave any day now. I don't yeah. know what 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 do you what do you think of sort of why why has everyone expected her to leave? Yeah, forever. It's a bunch of different reasons. So first of all, she's mentioned it to friends. It's never been clear on timing, but she's always mused like, okay, I I, I you know I've, I'm thinking about leaving. This is something I'm you know. What do you think I should do next? It's always predicated on like. Well, you know, she'd leave when there was something really good to do next. And so what made like a senior executive role at a different company, maybe the top executive role or something in politics. And for a while, uh, this is pre-Trump, this is in 2016, there were all those rumors going around about her potentially being a treasury secretary candidate. And so, you know, partly it's it's born out of, you know, her talking. Her own sort of yeah. limitless ambition. <laughs> right. It's sort of like, is this... Uh, as high as I'm going to go. And so then the media does reflect honestly her sort of, yeah. yeah. But then there's also, there have been so many scandals in that company's history. And then there is this, uh, there has been a lot of speculation about, you know, which one of these scandals would finally be the one that would like, that would mean that Cheryl would finally leave. I mean, I remember the biggest of the, of them all for me, from my memory and, you know, in the seven years I've been writing about the company was the same year as Cambridge Analytica at the end of the year, when it came out that she was part of a pretty aggressive lobbying effort against Facebook critics. And so there was a lot of, okay, this is Cheryl's, Cheryl's, this has got to be the time when Cheryl leaves. This is, she's going to get fired. There was a when, lot. When, sorry, which period was this? So same year as Cambridge Analytica. If you remember that whole year is kind of a blur for me, but I remember that part. And I remember there was a lot of speculation then like, okay, this has got to be it. She's going to leave. And, you know, she didn't, the board stood behind her, Mark stood behind her and she, continue to do the work. And at the time, you know, she was telling friends and, and colleagues that she wanted to stay, wanted to stick it out and, you know, fix things. I mean, that was something she really believed that she could do. She could sit there and build better processes and build better ways and tools and detection and kind of and get the company back on the right track. But, uh, you know, it, it, so many years later, three and a half, four years later, it, it's a, it's still not there. When did she join Facebook? 2008. And she's always been 
the number two Facebook executive since yeah. she's been there. I mean, she came in. Yeah. And she built this tremendous business, right? I mean, totally. I feel like people are split in two directions, whether they should, the story of her leaving is sort of a victory lap for, you know, one of the greatest female business leaders mm-hmm. of our era versus, you know, this very challenged top company that she seemed to be sort of represent. I don't know. Do you feel that? I feel like sort it's of as both. a reporter, the tension. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's really complicated because I forget where she said this, but she said at some conference uh, at some point that she felt like she was put on earth to scale organizations. Like that was her like divine purpose. Don't, don't we all feel that way? I guess <laughs> I'm just like scale, scale, scale. That's what I... And she did it. She, she did. She's like a demigod, you know? It was like some sort of creation by Zeus sent down to like teach mortals about the, the virtues and path of scale. And she did it twice. My favorite part of the Iliad. She... <laughs> <laughs> she did it so many times and she did it really effectively. And you kind of have to separate, you know, the functioning of the company uh, of Facebook on a day-to-day basis um, versus from its impacts for just this one exercise, which is, you know, when people leave Facebook, no matter how they feel about what the company did, whenever I talk to former employees, they kind of lament the fact that the wherever they work next doesn't function as well as Facebook did. It had Hmm. clear processes in place. It had like a functioning HR department, uh, you know, that they felt like, like employees or managers were trained in some way. I was literally just talking to a classmate. Yeah. Who was saying they'd worked at Amazon and Facebook Uh and surprisingly they found meta to be much more organized, which Yeah. yeah, wasn't sort of I think the popular perception. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. Amazon is the hyper competent company, and Facebook is sort of oh no, constantly in line. I think I think you read it totally backwards. Amazon is a place where they like grind you. They you know you you have a desk made out of doors, and there's no (laughs) love between you and the company. Until like the last couple of years, Facebook was the place to work, right? You wanted to be there. It was the best, you know, they had the best recruiters. They would pay the best. The stock was obviously great. They had a real nice campus. Yeah. I mean, obviously everything has changed so much in the last couple of years, but yeah, I mean, maybe to take this in a slightly different direction here. I mean, what I find so fascinating about Cheryl as a character is she sort of has two main qualities that people ascribe to her and, Mm -hmm. you know, have been both her... Her, her strengths and now like her downfall or whatever you want to call her current position. Right. One is that she's incredibly talented at scaling businesses and specifically the kind of digital ad model yeah. that she really kind of, I don't know, say pioneered, but like worked very well at. And then her political connections, which I think like very much a mixed, you know, a, a mixed report card on like whether or not she really had political skill and connections that she, as far as I can tell, I mean, you tell me, Deepa, but like, yeah. I think she kind of positioned herself in that, in, in that way. It's like, hey, I'm a political fixer. I know all these people in DC, like when Facebook suddenly became this, you know, lightning rod of controversy, thank God they had Cheryl there who knew everyone in DC and had you know, this whole PR apparatus around her to kind of smooth her image. And I guess by extension, the companies, right? I mean, that was definitely the working theory. I mean, if you like Cheryl, before she got to Silicon Valley, worked for Larry Summers, right? She worked in government. She likes to talk about that experience. And it was something, and she was always really interested in politics. You know, she was a avid supporter of Hillary Clinton um, in 2016. Right. And there's a degree to which so, like, we view everything, you know, if Hillary had won, right? Yeah. she might have set up her life perfectly well. Yeah. The savvy operator 
would continue to be the savvy operator. And in some degrees, she made the mistake every most human beings made, which is we thought Trump would absolutely lose and Hillary would win. And then she was well set up for it. And now we all incorporate that into our lives. But for someone as public as her, it's not as easy to pivot your whole existence to a Trump world. Especially when the platform that you helped build to the giant that it is, is part, is sort of implicated in the rise of right wing thought and white nationalism and all these other things that are supposed that's supposedly foisted, you know, whatever, uh, like kind of got Trump where he where he is. So I think that 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 is a little bit different than other politically active figures in the Valley, because she had a, a real ownership role in the social media part, the disinformation part, and that kept coming to bite her in the ass. So one of the interesting things about the her departure is that we saw this gap for, I mean, with the 24 hour news cycle, it felt like a long gap, but it was really only a gap of about a day um, before we started to really understand why she left. You broke the news that she was also being internally investigated by Facebook, which seems like something that happens to you when your stature inside of a company has really fallen. So could you talk a little bit about first why her stature inside the company had deteriorated so much? And then what was going on with this investigation? So uh, over the last couple of years, you know, while you, you know, while Facebook was just getting hit with all kinds of different like controversies and accusations, we're getting in more and more and more hot water in politics in DC. You saw Cheryl kind of step to the side a little bit and Mark, the CEO started to get more involved in the political side. And some of that is a natural it's a, it's sort of a natural evolution of what happens. Like sometimes the problems get so serious, the CEO has to be involved, but this is, this is also Facebook. It's a little different. I mean, this is a company that up until 2016 was structured as almost two companies. It was like Mark's side of the house and Cheryl's side of the house. And Mark Mark has specifically said she did all the things he hated doing. And he liked that. Yeah. Right. The business side and the fun side. Right. (laughs) And for her side, the business side also included policy and politics and all these other things that Mark didn't care about and really ceded control to her fully. And she he just let it run. And then when 2016 happened, suddenly he started to gradually get more and more involved. And then the company had to reorient because there were a lot of different problems within the product that, you know, were causing a variety of different issues, you know, uh, around, you know, like making it easy to spread misinformation and hate speech. And so more people in the company got involved in what they would, they called integrity operations to fix the company. And this is actually where you start to see a little bit of a chipping away of her power. Those integrity teams aren't under Sheryl Sandberg. They're under Mark Zuckerberg. They're in the product division of the company and they report up through to, to ultimately to Mark. Everybody reports ultimately to Mark, but Cheryl doesn't really have purview of that. She gets a different team called the strategic response team, which is just, you know, uh, kind of a SWAT team that tackles uh, rising challenges, basically things that threaten to be massive PR fires, uh, based, like and when they go public, and but then, but she's not involved in some of these larger potential fixes for the platform, these algorithmic kind of fixes. And then, you know, if you look, we, last year we got a hold of a bunch of internal HR data, and we did a, a whole graphic about this. And there's a point at which in 2014, where 43 percent of the company reported to Sandberg. 
who obviously then reports to Mark, but 43%. Right. Like she was the individual outside of Mark that had the most number of reports. And then you see that shrink to about 31% last year. And that, though she was still the person with the most number of reports, but it's a pretty big decline. And it is, you know, she increasingly, all these other divisions of the company are getting more and more people. Like there's uh, like the metaverse, obviously, but the guy that is now the COO of the company, Javier Olivan, starts to get more. He's really ascending in the ranks at the exact same time. And so there's suddenly you get the feeling maybe she's not number two in the way that she was pre-2016. She's sort of one of the lieutenants. And uh, that, you know, she starts to become less and less visible during key moments and key crises, crises. So last year when we reported, we started reporting out um, what we call the Facebook files, which is a series of documents uh, uh, from Frances Haugen. She wasn't really part of the, the response to that, even though there is a story about you know, teen girls being affected by, by, you know, Instagram and feeling, you know, like a, like lowered self-confidence for a variety of issues. I mean, this is sort of, you would think that the lean in woman would address that. You would think. So do are we, well, first as an aside, it's very funny to me that this company thinks that integrity is something that should and can solely be addressed by algorithms or whatever. Um, but I mean, are we to infer then that there was a loss of trust in Sandberg? And if that's the case, when did it happen and why? We know that there there were moments of increased tension between her and Mark. I mean, there are times where he outright told her after the Cambridge Analytica story first broke, you know, uh, he blamed her for the public fallout and the public strategy. And she told Did she front run the New York Times? uh, I don't believe that was her decision. I think that was somebody else on the PR team. But she certainly, I mean, she approved it, I think, right? That's her, that's her... That's you know, the Facebook got out ahead of the New York Times yeah. story and Cambridge right. Analytica, which almost ended up validating it. Yeah. A story that I think several of us on the podcast don't believe in, or at least I'll speak for myself, don't think is a big deal anymore. But Facebook almost convinced right. every it reporter happened, in the, the world that it was not... a huge deal by, yeah. by right. sort of playing <laughs> yes, dirty yes. with the New York Times. And so it's like a terrible uh, PR strategy. So the media is fixated on it and therefore we are fixated. Yeah. So anyway, when you say say Deepa that Mark blamed her for it, I mean, Cambridge Analytica aside, because that one does sound a bit complicated. What else specifically did he think she bungled? Was it that there wasn't a competent PR strategy that her connections in Washington weren't enough to assuage you know, fears from, from senators that they didn't put enough interns under, you know, um, who was it? Who was who it that uh, their, their kid was uh, uh, an intern at Facebook? Sure. Uh, which senator was it? It was Chuck Schumer's kid, wasn't it? Chuck Schumer. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Schumer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They didn't have enough of Chuck Schumer's kids interning at <laughs> Facebook for Cheryl specifically to kind of make all of this go away much faster. Um, I think it, a lot of it was the 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 architecture of the public response, right? So if you remember yeah. that period, they were silent publicly for about five days before they they really said anything about it. And then they uh, he also blamed her, I think, for not managing the political response. So they started getting an incredible amount of heat from Democrats in DC. And it just and this is by the way coming on the heels of the Russian interference scandal. So people are still angry about that, and then this happened, and so there it's just escalating. And so he didn't feel like she 
she, this is at least my understanding from the sources I talked to, he didn't feel like she really managed the Facebook's response to those challenges appropriately. It isn't really clear what she could have done differently. Um, <laughs> right. But, but Bo- both, both, just to zoom out, like on their yeah. personalities, like yeah. both Mark and Cheryl are sort of stiff communicators in very different ways. Like he's sort of, right, like the weird sort of, I don't think I don't she's know, a coat, stiff, nerdy coat. Yeah, I, I find she's her, a very like, scripted communicator. Scripted, yeah. But when scripted. she wants to be, she can at it, least it, come across as very warm. But yeah. There are people that you have conversations with where it feels like they're really trying to like win you over. And I don't know. She she's like totally willing to like talk to ten reporters and say nothing and just sort of put on a little performance. But it's it's not a personal interaction you're having with her at all, right? I mean, she doesn't do have that personal like touch of somebody do you, doing, you know, airfoiling on Instagram uh, during the 4th of July. I'm not saying he's good at it either. Leaders. I'm just saying they're both people that feel like they live in a sort of plane above you sort of delivering their very uh, deep, but you feel differently or? Um, I don't know. I, I guess I've had, uh, I think she can come across as very warm. I think I agree with Katie's assessment, which is she's often pretty scripted. She's really disciplined in what she says and doesn't say. You will, if you listen to enough Sheryl Sandberg speeches and interviews, you will hear similar anecdotes like again and again and again. She was using right? the same quote in her departure interviews, you know. That yeah. I mean, she, this was is just like up. any politician, right? Yeah. Right. So, I but think there are that when, some politicians that are good at like making you feel like it was authentic. Well, I th- I think that you know what a lot of people would say about somebody like Nancy Pelosi is that when you're one on one with her, you've never felt more engaged. But she gives a lot of very scripted speeches. Yeah. I think right. I don't think this is unusual. Sure, yeah. I want I want to get to the Cheryl legacy in a second because there's yeah. a lot to kind of mine from there. But but Katie did have this question. I think we were leading to with the like distance from Zuck, yeah. which was yeah. like. What right. was the straw? And, 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 you know, what specifically with this investigation of her, you know, trying to use her as, uh, you know, Facebook well, we resources to set up well, her, we her don't, wedding yeah, website? We don't know why well, she well, left. We'll just, yeah. we'll just speak, speak to what the Wall Street Journal's reported, which was Facebook yeah. was investigating her. And so yeah. are, is, it, is it safe to infer that Facebook is investigating her? One, because she's lost so much stature in the company at the company. Nobody is giving her the goodwill to even think that she could not have done something wrong. They have to launch the formal investigation. And then two, is the, was the formal investigation launched perhaps as a way to push her out? Very few people want to stick around a company that's investigating them. So I think there's still so much about this investigation we don't know. We, we don't know. We know about its existence, right? And that's what we reported. And we don't know uh, what... We, we, there's just a lot we don't know. We don't know who called for it. We don't know what it means yet. There's so I would just want to say we're still like we're still like actively reporting and trying to understand that part of it. I think it's it, it just on the, to the stature question. It is interesting. I mean, she if you look at the Facebook proxy, uh, she has an enormous amount of latitude to use corporate resources for personal reasons that she can use. It's it's clearly written in the proxy that she can use a private plane on the company dime for personal reasons, a private plane. And she has security that she can have all the time for personal reasons, for, for professional reasons, whatever. I mean, so she gets a lot of resources and we know that there are a lot of times where I've, you know, I've gone to some of her personal events and then seen Facebook employees there. So sometimes, you know, Facebook employees will go, 
um, and support her when she's doing like a, like some other kind of event, like a personal type of an event. Um, and that's been happening for years. So I am not sure what has sparked these investigations. One of which is into, um, her personal, her sort of her activities at Facebook, including the use of corporate resources for her wedding. And the other, which, um, it has to do with, you know, using, I guess a Facebook email address and talking directly to the Daily Mail to try to kill a story about her then boyfriend, Bobby Kotick. And so I think there's, I think you just, it is, it is curious that the, I, I would love to know, understand why that investigation is starting now, especially given how much latitude she's been given, given for years. Right. Right. I think what Katie's getting at is the investigation is almost a sign of her weakening stature yeah. of the company mm-hmm. more than the investigation itself is some. I don't know necessarily. Especially in light of the like, fact that she does have the latitude to use Facebook's right. resources for personal use. Yeah. And and so this kind of brings me to this other sort of journalisty question about it, which is I, I genuinely feel for any reporter, and I've been in this case of a major executive stepping down, and you have to come out with a story as quickly as possible. Yeah. And you basically have to like and it's reasonable too. And the, you know, like audiences want to read it. Reporters, editors are demanding it. And reporters are basically like shaking this, you know, the, the the tree of sources familiar with the matter to like rain down as many like acorns of anecdotes to give some explanations to what happened. And we're sort of stuck in this like first draft of history scenario yeah. where we may look back at this in a couple of weeks and find that it was completely irrelevant. Yeah. That, that, you know, the investigation was a formality. It had nothing to do with anything broader. You know, we can maybe make connections that there was some sort of, you know, signifier of this being her fallen stature in the company, or it literally was just ain't no thing. Like she yeah. just woke up one but day and was, was like, journal story, I'm, I'm you know, it. burnout. I thought there were other themes in the story. But it was the lead anecdote in the story. And and look, you guys were very cautious about it. And I have utmost respect for the journal in not sensationalizing It was things, the best but, story about the departure. So we're picking among. Right. Yeah, I'm well, not criticizing it. I'm I'm just genuinely asking. As you were reporting this out, you come across this anecdote. We don't really know yet whether that was the cause of anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you how do you reckon with that? Because that is, you know, an interpretation that people will draw from the story. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just say that this is like live. We're working with live ammo. I guess you know we're constantly reporting. This is a real time, really fluid reporting situation. We don't know what we don't know, and we're trying to learn as much as we can. This investigation is pretty unusual, though, and it is something that we've been hearing about. And I think it is that in and of itself is worth informing people. I mean, we led with burnout. We led with the fact that she was telling in the people headline. in the headline and in the lead that she was burned out and telling people that and that she felt like increasingly disconnected from things like the metaverse or a lot of other reasons in there. But the investigation, I don't know, it's news. So it it's sort of, we include it too, because it's, but we don't know how significant I mean, it even is. if she hadn't left the company, I think the fact that she was being internally investigated would in and of itself have been a good news oh, story. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's just I don't in think, the context of the explanation of I, why Yeah, to leaving. Tom's point, yeah. in the context, of course. But I mean, yeah. let's not forget that that is news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and would need right. to have been reported even if she'd stayed. Yeah. And so I think the the fact that it's news is, I mean, that's kind of where we're yeah, it's coming tricky. from, right? It's, it's <laughs> tricky. And by the way, I mean, that was something you'd heard about, obviously, prior to the, her announcement. Yeah. Like, you guys had been kind of digging around on that. And then when her announcement happens, you're just sort of like, uh, oh, well, we have this reporting. Like, it would well, be Kodak silly not to include it. The thing was out, right? Or yeah. was that investigation out? The, but the investigation about the yeah. wedding was new, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, I mean, we had written about 
the Kodak investigation. Mm-hmm. And then, and what was the Kodak investigation again? So she, and uh, a few years ago when she was dating Bobby Kodak, there were a couple of different occasions where the daily mail was about, was about to write a, a story about a restraining order that one of his former girlfriends had against him. And, uh, that, uh, and, and that she called the daily mail to basically plead her case and, 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 and try to inform them and persuade them that it wasn't true or that there were, there was a lot more to the story and that they, that, and try, I guess, try to get them not to publish the piece. Right. I think that's maybe the easiest way of saying it. I mean, in, in as much specificity and comfort as, as you can, Deepa, can yep. you give a sense of like the spinning that's going on behind the scenes between the different camps and are you seeing any sort of concerted effort by those aligned with Cheryl or those, you know, quote unquote, aligned with Mark or the company to try to push a narrative that is going to be, you know, explanatory in a way that one wasn't a huge failure or one wasn't a huge asshole? Uh, are you seeing, let's put it like this. Are you, are you seeing that kind of formation set up as this is happening? Because, you know, Facebook is such a powerful company. It is, you know, quasi-governmental. You know, it has former government PR people running their communication shop. Like yeah. how, you know, how, how much is the politicking of this figuring into the narrative right now? Yeah. I'm just silent because I'm trying to figure out what I can say. <laughs> right. I mean, we're, in some ways he's asking well, what, well, what is Deepa Facebook is thinking PR about the spinning answer. on the yeah. background? <laughs> yeah. Well, while Deepa's formulating an answer, who's more quasi-governmental, Apple or Facebook? <laughs> what do you guys think? I feel like Apple's better at it. Yeah. You know Apple better than I do. I know Apple, I'm not as close to. I mean, Facebook is hiring, you know, Nick Clegg to head their PR. I mean, you know, they certainly recognize that they need to have as much political connection and import as possible. I, I just Whereas, don't like, know Apple, Apple uses Tim Cook and like, yeah. because he's a CEO who can actually, he should run the state department. I swear to God. I mean, because he, he's a CEO who can actually like meet with people and have these sort of difficult conversations, I think in a way that Mark Zuckerberg cannot. Because Apple has real power. You know, that was always, I felt like the true revelation about these companies at, you know, with the, the stock market correction is like one is still worth over a trillion and the other one is, you know, piddling 400 billion right i mean know? apple leaks less <laughs> it's more professional they have way more control over the message i, I just think they Facebook can operate in china much messier and like <laughs> well they are like, in some ways yes they have this huge manufacturing company anyway so deepa back to back yeah. to this question what have, I, <laughs> what have i decided so okay i'll say this i mean like you've already seen the story kind of shift a lot in the last few days and so whether that's reflective of what's going to happen going forward is, you know, I guess TBD, but let, we can talk about what's happened. So like the day she actually decided, she announced that she's going to resign. It's, there are so many like kind of uh, co- coordinated messages, wishing her well, talking about her influence, all the ways in which she shaped the company forever. Mark puts out a very long statement, just embracing her and congratulating her. The two of them, were partners in this and how she sort of helped him navigate and become and build Facebook into what it is. And, you know, and then, you know, that he does the same thing the next day with employees at a Q and a, according to some of the leaked transcripts of that Q and a that have, have been floating around. So they are, the Facebook has very much tried to be like the, these two are a unified front. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you see when, when, we're discussing 
you know, no one's really talking on the record about these investigations, but Cheryl's PR person did provide us with a comment about 24 hours after our story ran saying Cheryl did not inappropriately use corporate resources to plan her wedding. And the word inappropriately was, is, is in there. It's part right. of that quote. And so I don't know what new statements are going to come out as more and more of the reporting, you know, kind of gets is, is surfaced, but things are already sort of subtly shifting and, and that's, it's only been a few days. So I think that's the best I can do for you, Tom, on that particular answer. I think you're going to see a lot of different changing responses. They put out, okay, first of all, my, the conspiracy theory that they announced this when the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial was out. Yeah. You seem, I know all the Facebook reporters seem to hate this theory. It, I know. You it's, think there was too much teed up for that to be, I mean, it felt like they were burying it. It's one of the biggest social media news stories. Like this is yeah. all over my TikTok feed. I assume all over Facebook. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me they don't know that this is going to be a big news vortex? Yeah. I mean, but then it, it's not as if Cheryl stepping down would not have drawn attention. Like I, no matter what was happening. But the goal was, the, the suggestion is this was meant to bury it by... Right. I think if they were going to bury it, wouldn't they do it on like Saturday or Friday night at 11, yeah. Saturday yeah. evening? Because there's a whole press corps that is dedicated to just writing about Facebook, you know, like, uh, and, and there are a lot of reporters who, even if they're not dedicated to writing about Facebook on a daily basis, they have sources there. They talk to people there. They're trying to uncover stuff. I mean, it's like one of the most scrutinized companies in the world. It's certainly of all the companies I've ever covered the most scrutinized. And so I don't know. I, yeah, I, I don't know that there was. I'm ever sorry. You're being so diplomatic about this, Deepa. Mm -hmm. That is the stupidest fucking conspiracy <laughs> theory I can imagine. You're trying to tell me that there, that there are, that there were reporters that were on the Facebook beat that because of the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard uh, verdict came in, they were like, I Too distracted. Cannot, yeah. I no, cannot cover Cheryl. I'm sorry. Right. I, I and understand. That, like, and yeah. that it wouldn't rise, that it wouldn't I'm, I'm sorry, Brad. Through. I'm sorry, Jason. I know you probably think this is a big deal about Cheryl, but literally there is no one doing analysis on Amber Heard and Johnny Depp right now if I don't do this story. Uh, I mean, that, that's so, that is just like the blinkered uh, mindset of people on social media that, you know, change their minds as to what they care about on like a five minute timer. But <laughs> in the moment that they care about it, I think nothing else matters. So awful conspiracy theory. I'm right. going to say something like, you know, Cheryl was hoarding baby formula or something like that. That would be a little <laughs> bit more like enticing and realistic to what, me. Than what did the idea you make that, of fortune? Fortune literally ran a headline saying that Roe versus Wade had some sort of, did you see this story? Well, they said that she wanted to leave to work on her foundation and she felt galvanized because of the potential end of Roe versus Wade and the need to like think about women's reproductive health. So, which is very on brand. You know, right. she, that's what she said yeah. in the interview. That's what she said. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I can see, I think there's not one reason anybody leaves us at, like a company after 14 years, right? I mean, like that's, that. I think certainly leaving liberates her to do more of that. It, is that why she left? I don't know. I, that's not, we, we, we didn't hear that. We had heard it's largely some of the other issues we talked about, like around burnout and just feeling like she didn't really care. And I, wasn't involved I think that, I think the fortune story was based on the interview. She right. gave to it's fortune. Right. So it wasn't it was like, like a, yeah. it wasn't like they talked to 12 people familiar with the matter. And no. came up with. It was because she sat with them and said, right. this is why I'm doing this. I, I do think the public communication, I mean, the Mark Post, her post about it, yeah. they're very boring. Like, don't they? 
I don't understand. Don't they want to tell a more exciting story? <laughs> you don't really like, ever get a spicy like um, departure announcement. But, have you but ever? But you read don't one? want the media have to you, endlessly speculate about but, other things. But you when want, have like, you ever seen that strategy deployed? Like I've I can't remember it. But have you ever seen the strategy where the company puts a lot of gory details and interesting, cool stuff? in their departure press release. I've never seen it. <laughs> My understanding I, I is think of the first draft now. of the shale resignation was just the middle finger emoji. <laughs> That's what she was going to put out. And that was it. And that was it. And then she was going to be gone the next day. Well, I feel like you could be, you know, I'm, I feel like if you worked on a particular product, you could sort of have like a last like tour about like the inside story of that. And then you, leave, you have more of a like, you have something you finish so that people but are she's like, not oh, really there's done. this capstone. She's not really done with Facebook. First of all, she doesn't leave her job right. until the fall. And secondly, she's on the board. She's still there. You know, I don't think that she's left her role as like a very powerful executive inside the company. Um, you know, the, the person that's going to take the COO job after her isn't going to have her same type of power and influence um, on Mark that she did at the at her height of her powers, right? And that's the way it, but she's, but she's still, An- she's still another, there. another six dimensional chess theory would just be, you know, she, she sees the world and like the markets are going to get worse and leave Facebook before it's like a true bloodbath. And if, you know, the economy really does go into a recession and this is well, she could have left isn't her, 2.0. Isn't we'll her wealth still tied up in the stock to a great degree? Like yeah. if you look at the proxy statement, she's still paid right, in shares right. and they invest over like five to seven year period. So leaving now doesn't actually, it's not like she can leave and Best, well, you just take you just, it all. You're it's also down it's, more it's, than fifteen percent from its peak. Like if she yeah. was such a six-dimensional yeah. chess player, yeah. she would have left last November. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's she's still like at the mercy of the stock market for yeah. like a lot of her wealth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing the thing about it that I find, you know, challenging as a reporter and just as a person trying to make it out is that she is also just a human being, and people are complicated, and there's often like a constellation of reasons, legitimately as to why she decided to leave the job when she did, you know, like she probably was, you know, feeling uh, marginalized than she literally was by, by Zuck. She was less interested in this direction towards meta. Yeah. Um, she'd also been doing it for 14 years and maybe, you know, there are, there is a straw, whether it's the investigation or, or something that hasn't been announced yet or, yeah. or, or reported yeah. yet. And all of it together are legitimate and it doesn't have to be one thing or the other. I, mean, I guess can, like when I think about it that way, if I were working at the New York Times and one day I woke up and because of a series of things my boss blamed me for, you know, she was like, ah, you've been doing a lot of reporting and we'd like you to do a little less of it. Um, we have a great role for you in reading audience comments. <laughs> and I did that for a while. And uh I'd survived this two-year pandemic where I'd worked a ton, but been marginalized anyway. And then I thought that my company was also investigating my expenses. At some point, I would think, you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. The difference being that I'm not a multi-billionaire. Rock, <laughs> so rock. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've you can find Katie's email. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you just think that sort of how, how much we know is fundamentally limited by sources and that, yeah. that, that, that this is not like something where they're just t- everybody like Zuck is on background, Cheryl's on, everybody's just like giving their spin yeah. against each other. So you get to the truth. I think it's, this one's just hard. It's really sensitive. There's a lot of different moving parts. I, yeah, it's, it's, we're trying. I mean, all we can do is like, <laughs> call right. people I mean, and I, talk to them, but they're yeah. bunned up. I'm just, I mean, yeah. they're, it's, I don't know. They are and they, yeah, they are. But, but I was, it was interesting to hear like around when Cheryl was uh, like the day that she um, 
were just, you know, decided to step down there, there were, the company also said it had nothing to do with the Bobby Kotick matter or that, and that that particular review onto that subject was, was closed. And that is a tacit confirmation of the story from, you know, a couple of months ago on Bobby, which is, so there's, there's something like the, the, there's a little drip drip of, of information coming from the company in public. I, I don't expect that to ever turn into like a gush where they suddenly start talking well, and about also everything. to be fair yeah. i think it's legitimately something that took a lot of people by surprise and so when yeah. something is so close hold it's hard for there to be a lot of good leaks because yeah. most people don't know what they're talking about yeah. and so yeah if the only people who really know what happened are Sheryl Sandberg, Mark Zuckerberg, and four other human beings. You have to wait for those four other human beings to talk to enough other people for the information to come out. Yeah. Or for Deepa to infiltrate that four-person circle, pour true serum down the throat of one of those people, and then sit there and take notes while they spend three hours telling her everything that happened. And while that is a best case scenario. I don't, I don't know how realistic it is. It's standard journalistic procedure. <laughs> Just like what I do all the time. What are you talking right. about? Break into someone's house, poison them. Yeah, yeah. Right. obviously. No, I, I it's going to be really hard. I, you know, I, I, it's a challenging story to get more, to, to get more out of and we're trying. It's just, and, but it is, it's really complicated. And it is also complicated by this idea that like, is it, there's a lot of like sexism in coverage of Cheryl Sandberg and there's a, she's extremely sensitive to that. I thought one of the things that, you know, had kind of made her feel burned out and very increasingly disconnected was the fact that she felt she was particularly singled out uh, for criticism at the company, even though she's not the CEO and she doesn't make all the decisions there. And, you know, some of these upcoming TV portrayals, like I think Claire Foy is in one of the projects where she's going to play Sheryl Sandberg. She's really nervous about those things. I mean, she's she literally told one of her advisors that there's no scenario where a powerful businesswoman isn't portrayed as a, quote, raging bitch. Right. Like she there's a lot of criticism that she's feels she's endured particularly because she's a woman and she feels like more is coming. And I think right. that's also, a which is almost certainly true. I mean, I remember, yeah, I mean, yeah. cause it's true. Like there's almost no scenario in which like a really successful CEO is not portrayed as a raging asshole. <laughs> if it's a man, but right. society responds well to raging asshole dudes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you watch like, you know, a movie where the leader of the company is, slamming doors and pounding on the table and screaming at people and throwing computer monitors at their heads. We like celebrate that a little bit. And if a woman did that, yeah, we would be like, wow, she should probably be fired rather than wow. Jack Welch was cool. (laughs) Well, well, this like gets into like the other, you know, moving off of why she stepped down, but like the larger questions about her legacy Mm -hmm. and what she kind of represents as an executive in in tech, because I thought, you know, so much of what she, even when, when she was being revered, as a bit as an executive, there was a not even small tinge of sexism to it. I've always thought the idea of like you know companies need their Sheryl Sandberg, right? That's mm-hmm. the archetype. You know, the the, the hot headed yeah. and brilliant CEO needs the you know woman to ground him and like yeah. teach him about the like sensibilities of business was probably oh, very you mean limiting. Mom? Yeah, yeah. She's mom. Everyone, everyone needs a mom. You need a mom to tell you like how to manage your checkbook. Yeah. Um, was basically the role of a Sheryl Sandberg. And totally. 
uh, you know, I, I'd be interested in, in your opinion, having covered her and, and seeing high powered, you know, women and in politics too, Katie, I mean, having written about it, like, you know, I would imagine certain, you know, Cheryl also capitalized a bit on it, right? I mean, Lean In was a huge PR push on her image mm-hmm. based very much on, you know, her being a high powered, successful female executive. I think there was a lot of criticism that it wasn't really attainable unless you were extremely wealthy. And it was sort of like an unimaginable paradigm to, to force onto not rich women, specifically mm-hmm. not rich white women. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. To me, it always, like, her image, whether she contributed to it or not, felt sexist through and through. Yeah. I, specifically on the question of lean in, mm-hmm. I've, we could just do a whole different podcast on sort of the yeah. post Me Too era and how it seems to have come to a close um, and that we're moving into a far more regressive era in American society you know, in a, in a larger way that's beyond Sheryl Sandberg and, you yeah. know, beyond Amber Heard or Johnny Depp. But on her, on Lean In specifically, what was so interesting about that is that she had the financial power and she had the sort of like social and political standing within an extremely powerful company to use that platform to say women are treated like shit at work. And can we all just agree on that? And so that was, I think we forget that that was actually a very big deal yeah. because women, female executives up until that moment had basically always said some version of having worked at Fortune Magazine and worked on the most powerful women in business list. I can tell you with great certainty that almost every narrative was, yeah, it's a boys club, but you know what? If you just work hard and you know more and you come in more prepared, you can do well. And I'm so grateful to whatever company it is I work for that they gave me that opportunity. And Sheryl Sandberg came in and was like, I'm grateful, but let's be real. And that was such a weird, it was a big watershed moment. And it this yeah. outpouring of thank God someone finally said it. Now, like all <laughs> movements, did it need to be refined? Did it need to account for class disparity, for racial disparity, also for the fact that not everybody wants to get ahead by placating men, which was a big part of the Me Too um, sort of like the lean book. The lean in sorry, the lean, excuse me. That was a big part of the The lean lean in in strategy, which was placate men. Of course, those things were always going to eventually come into question, but I don't think we can dismiss the fact that she used her platform to say something that nobody else had yet said. And now she's sort of destroyed by the current political environment where obviously the right hates that for whatever, you know, for sort of regressive reasons and the left hates it because it wasn't probably also progressive for regressive enough. reasons. Well, right. the left hates it both for regressive reasons that right. they can't ever admit. Sort of. It's they subtle pretend sexism to not that be it sexist. does unacknowledge, right? Yeah, the and left then, pretends not to be sexist when right. it totally is. And then also, yes, then there are progressives who are like, we, she should have done more. She should have said more. Yes. Right. And so it's a terrible time to have sort of what's probably still a popular among most Americans message, but she can't even get it. She's, she's sort of abandoned it, right? I mean, she sort of moved away. I mean, she still celebrates it, but she's not saying it anymore. You know, well, she said it in her goodbye and I think that she'll continue to say it. It's sort of like, does the message make sense in this moment anymore? And is there a way to, is there a way to reveal the message? Yeah. Like I, the big criticism of that is, you know, she doesn't, she ascribes a lot of responsibility on individual women to basically, you know, show the kind of pluck and moxie and, and kind of push through the barriers and have hope and drive and, and then help other women do the same thing. But she doesn't address some of the, like the major structural changes. And I think she has and talked about it publicly 
as that that being a problem, right? Like when she wrote Option B, that was her second book on, on grief after her husband died, this is something that had come up in a couple of different interviews and it had come up in a different, in, in a, like her subsequent commentary, which is, you know, I didn't think enough about class. I didn't think enough about those kinds of things when I was writing this book. And so she acknowledges that it's a lot more complicated than just any individual woman's will, right? So but it, it, it that adds to the complexity of her legacy. You know, she's not like she she's not a she's a feminist icon, sort of. You know, she's a business mm-hmm. icon, sort of. I mean, she is all those things. She's also really it, there's a real undercurrent of complexity because there's a lot of people who disagree with what she did, her messaging, and what she ultimately accomplished. You, what what did she she do now? I mean, do you think Sheryl Sandberg just becomes a reply guy on Twitter? Are we going to start seeing her fighting? With I mean, Jack, Jack Dorsey's I mean, he's, he's tweeting. with Eric like, on Twitter. Yeah. I you mean. Know, I, but like Elon, you know, it's just funny. Yeah. I feel like these execs get bored and then all of a sudden we see them on Twitter. Like, I, I would love to see that. That would be a real personality reversal. But That'd be funny. I, I think that she, well, she, again, she isn't really leaving the company for a while and then she's staying on the board. So she's still attached to, to Facebook. She's never going to, at least, at least while she's on the board, you're not going to really see her doing Thing. She's not going to go rogue. Mark Andreessen sits on the board, and he's been able to. T- he tweets all sorts. Oh, of things I, I don't mean stuff. tweet. She's not going to yeah. tweet say anything spicy about Facebook, right. right? Like, but yeah, she, Cheryl she, is not a poster. I don't think she has it. I'm, I'm, yeah, it seems like the opposite. There's no way. But I, look, I would love be, to see a good reversal. It would be amazing. Like, uh, I would love but it. I wonder. There's been a lot of speculation. And also, just want to modify one thing I said. It's not that nobody had ever said what she said before. It's just that nobody really powerful who was a woman had said it because everybody was generally afraid of the backlash and being punished for it. And Um, intentionally built a movement behind it, right? Right, right. That was the new part. Because certainly there have been women, you know, for, I would say, possibly more than decades um, saying that they were treated like garbage in the workplace. But um, I wonder about the prospects for her political career because that was always going to be sort of pre-2016. The thing that was going to be her exit from Facebook was going into a a Hillary Clinton administration. Yep. And then that didn't happen. Uh, and now given all that's happened in that, you know, six years, do you think she could still see politics potentially as a refuge or a second act? I don't know what is on her mind. I know that when I've talked to Democrats and, and others that sort of think about her political prospects it's it just feels it feels very unlikely like i i don't see you know she was at the center she's not the full owner right the buck that actually did not stop with her it stopped with mark but she was the coo she was one of the most powerful executives at the company the, the second most powerful executive at a company that Democrats really, really, really hate and really think uh, are is undermining democracy on some level, right? And that is very hard to come back from. You know, she, Republicans don't trust Facebook because of some of the censorship issues and you know what they perceive to be as unfair, unbiased treatment. And the Democrats, kind of the same thing. I mean, like they they sort of they don't neither side likes the company. So who is she going to be representing? 
Like, my God, what if she emerged as an anti-Facebook candidate? Like, she would be like the Elise Stefanik, right? She could run in California. Right. Or, uh, it's like Jack Dorsey seems to hate Twitter now, even though it's like you were the CEO. So, that's surprising. And then the WhatsApp guys, all these people, like, they work at the company. You're, like, leading it. And then all of a sudden you leave and you're like, oh, yeah, big mistake. She has <laughs> so a direct it, it path. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, I don't think oh, no. that's going to happen. No, but she, it, here's what she can do. This is the Cheryl playbook, and if no one is advising her on this, I will gladly take um, consulting fees to kind of position her next few steps. She should become a Republican. I'm sorry, very expensive. Yeah, well, we can negotiate, but uh, she should be- she could she should become a Republican. She should follow the JD Vance playbook, which mm. is now a perfect playbook to run. Say the opposite say, of everything you yeah, said. Before. Everything that you stood for the last couple of years was bullshit. You only did it because you had to infiltrate that group of people. You now believe exactly the opposite of what you said. There is no repercussions, at least as a Republican, for doing these things. She could probably be, well, she's stuck in California. But I don't know. I don't know. Whatever is the most vulnerable Senate seat, she could probably run for that as a Republican. That's I, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but no, Sadly. And, 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 <laughs> all right. I, my Uber is already on en route. I have to get to San Francisco. Okay. Uh, we this is the closest I've pushed a flight in a long time uh, under Katie's Whereas advisement. Tom, Tom, Tom and I have missed so many flights between the two of us. Yeah, Katie wow. and I would. If, if this were us, we would have another podcast in us. Like we could do another <laughs> another forty five minutes just on Lean In. <laughs> Deepa, concluding yeah. thoughts, or I don't know what. What do you think you're watching most for? Uh, I mean, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we're just doing more and more reporting. It feels like there's just like a lot more to this story, and like there always is. Just a complicated person. So there's, if you're listening yeah. and you're sourced, call me. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so much. <laughs> thank welcome. you so much, and congratulations to you guys. You guys have by far yeah, done. Yeah, none of us we do call Deepa. <laughs> none of us are chasing that story, so we yeah, we, yeah we please call. <laughs> yeah, call them. Your stories have been excellent on this. I, I look forward to your next one. Um, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, thanks. Yeah, we'll see you next time, Deepa. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.